You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is Colonel Kevin Felix. Colonel Felix is a retired Army officer who served 30 years in the U.S. Army as both a field artillery and foreign area officer. His last assignment in the Army was as the Chief Future Warfare Division within the Army Capabilities Integration Center, ARCIC, which was an organization within the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command. Colonel Felix, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. I appreciate having me. So I know that was a mouthful, and we'll get into all that acronyms and, and things we just said about your bio. But I didn't know if, if you don't mind if you could provide the, our listeners with a little bit of background of your time in the Army. Sure. Happy to do that. So a 1985 graduate of West Point, first assignment as a field artillery officer was in Vicenza, Italy with Delta Battery. So a great early experience jumping out of airplanes with double volunteers paratroopers, soldiers and paratroopers. They had to volunteer twice. Anyway, kicked that off, followed that up with an assignment back at Fort Bragg and took battery command there, met my beautiful wife, and we now have two wonderful kids uh, off in college, headed to college. But just a great, great experience over 30 years. Another tour back at Fort Bragg and then a battalion command in the 101st. In between that, I was uh, offered the opportunity to become a foreign area officer, did language training, got my degree at the University of Geneva in Switzerland, which was one of the tougher assignments I had throughout my career, as you can imagine. But again, the Army's all about give and grow. And this was one of those opportunities where keep giving and the Army keeps helping you to grow. And so did battalion command uh, as a battalion commander in the 101st. Second of the 320th and First uh, Brigade, Bastogne Brigade under uh, General Ben Hodges, who was subsequently the three star in Europe. And we remain close colleagues today. And so, spent a year in Iraq, came back to DC, spent a little time in the Pentagon and the Joint Staff in J5 and in the Office of the Chairman as an EA to the assistant to the chairman who works with the State Department and those leaders. Followed that up with some time at the Brigade Level Command with the 4th Battlefield Coordination Detachment Shaw Air Force Base, and then was given another opportunity to grow by becoming part of the Harvard Kennedy School National Security Fellow Program. So after that, my assignment following was as the Chief of Future Warfare at TRADOC. I did that for four years, ran up on the, uh, told the Army I'd run through the tape hard 30 years, and so we closed out and stayed in the local area in Hampton Roads and retired in 2015. So that's just a little snapshot of, of some of the things I've done operationally and can talk more about the future warfare division activities if you'd like. Yes, sir. That's an impressive, sir. Thank you for that. One of the reasons I, I asked you to come on the show and listeners will find out, man, that's an impressive title, Chief of Future Warfare. So yeah, of course, I want to ask you, like, what does that mean and how that works? So I'd never been in TRADOC. So learning the quote, Tradosian way was was new to me, but you know, you kind of, you get thrown in and you go and figure it out. One of the things about future, which is interesting, is is that time horizon can shift left or right, get smaller, get larger, depending on what's going on in the world. When I first came into this, we were still in the thick of things in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so we were really focused on more of the near term. Future became, it was funny because I, I later, within the four years, I changed the future game to what I called the deep future game. And the idea with renaming it, Deep Futures was to kind of 
understand that we weren't dealing with, you know, the next five years, but trying to push out our thinking and how we looked at the world and how the Army was going to operate in that, quote, deep future. And so I also joke that the tendency was to pull it back into the near term more and more. I thought, well, do I need to say deep, deep future? just kind of as a joke, but there's always that tendency to kind of bring it closer together. And it's very difficult to keep pushing yourself out because it gets fuzzy. And it, you know, you think about and you build these alternative futures. The very first seminar I ever ran was called Alternative Futures. And we looked at different scenarios, different opportunities, different environments, different conditions, and what those signals and signposts were as you went forward that would determine whether or not you were going to end up in one of these four different alternative futures, just as a way to to do that kind of future casting, if you will, looking into what's going to happen, what the environment might look like, what were the technological developments that might emerge, and then how should our concepts adjust to be able to uh, operate successfully in those potential alternative futures. Yeah, so not an easy task. I, I can't imagine being responsible for looking into the future and predicting or thinking about what future warfare will be. Yeah, so you get a lot of help. And that's the first thing is to understand that this is a team sport. You have to bring in really smart people to help you think. One of them that teamed up with uh, early on was a, a great friend named Dr. Dave Johnson, who later was part of, not only was with Rand at the time, who was our partner, but uh, later on he took over the strategic studies group for the chief of staff of the Army General Odierno. And our paths continue to cross. And they still cross today. You know, you seek out really bright people, you bring them in, you have them challenged. Your, your hypotheses and ideas and think that makes for obviously um, better outcomes. Yeah. So in full visibility, Dr. Dave Johnson is a mentor of mine, has been since I was a part of his second year of the strategic studies group, remains to this day. I think he's one of the greatest military minds of our era and continues to do amazing work and mentors me on a daily, weekly basis. One thing you said, sir, that I want to dig into and it really fascinates me. I, I actually just presented to a new initiative, again, another strategic studies group alumni, Colonel David, who is doing at what's called a UK Fight Club, which is about wargaming. You mentioned you changed the name of the Futures game into Deep Futures. So you did wargaming. Is that Unified Quest? I know it's more than just wargaming, but what kind of gaming did you do? What is Unified Quest? I, mean, I want to know. Sure. So Unified Quest was uh, the chief of the staff of the Army's future study program and plan. And it was part of what we had called at the time this campaign of learning. And so there were elements of it within within ARCIC, the Army Capabilities Integration Center, which was other name was the Future Center. And now, of course, we've transitioned that uh, Army Futures Command with its subordinate structure of the Futures and Concepts Center. But Future Warfare, that one division remains today. And we can talk a little bit more about that. But it was really looking at identifying issues, exploring solutions uh, to current and future force development. So we were really directed to provide not only a broad approach to what the environment looked like. We looked at strategic trends. That was one of the real drivers. We could look and do a deep dive into any of those particular strategic trends that, that we saw. And we'd look at a couple of different studies that would provide us with that. And we'd do some of our own work in that area as well. And then we decide each year annually what the chiefs annual Title X war game, his responsibility to, and our job to help the chief to look into the future. And we'd have this 
annual war game that would bring together all kinds of different players from the joint community, international, interorganizational, a real gym environment, if you will. And it was a large scale event, really a strategic war game as opposed to more of a tabletop. I can talk a little bit more about that. Many different methods to execute these kinds of studies, but the way we would do it was we would lead with some symposia that would help develop the ideas, help us to develop the scenarios that we were going to operate under within a particular war game, look at technologies that we wanted to include in the war game, emerging ones, and we'd bring in the best technologists within the Army and outside of the Army to tell us really, hey, what is the art of the possible? Not do we need to change the periodic table in order to get this capability, but what is reasonable within the next 15, 20 years, what kind of a capability could emerge? Where are the technology readiness levels for any particular technologies and how might they develop over a particular timeline? And then we would develop that particular capability out to say 2030, 2035. And then we would model it, uh, not formally, but in more broad terms, we give greater capabilities to certain forces and see how those could be game changers. One of the things that you learn when you first come to TRADOC is that there are giants that you're standing on the shoulders of giants of Generals Dupuy and Starry, the first commander, the father of TRADOC, General Dupuy in, in 1973, and then his successor in 1977, General Starry, really were the ones that set in motion this idea of looking carefully at what's happening around them. They did a deep dive in the Yom Kippur War, 1973, looked at uh, where all those tactical advantages came from. And you see some parallels today. Back then, there was a thing called the Big Five that emerged out of some of that study, as well as active defense and then the subsequent airland battle of 1982, that doctrine. And so one of the common themes from back then to today, I would say, is this idea that we still have to learn from others. And it's okay to learn not just from our own lessons, but from other lessons. And in this case, from Israel, we still remain close to the IDF and to learning from the IDF, in particular in the urban space. And we also, one of the interesting things when you learn more about General Starry is kind of this idea of time windows and these opportunities to create moments of advantage. And we see that now in this multi-domain operations concept where we're never going to be dominant across all domains that we fight in and that we will fight in, but that we will find pockets or moments of time where we will gain advantage in one domain and then be able to break out in that domain and create opportunities in another. So interesting kind of parallels to days gone by. So again, one of the most important things that you do when you're doing any of these studies is to never start from scratch. Got to do the literature review. It remains essential. I call it, as an artilleryman, it's kind of more shift from the known point than just throwing out a marking round. You look at what's been done and learn from it and move forward. And then one of the things about Unified Quest is I always thought of it as really a signaling device to the Army. Here's the big ideas. Here's the strategic imperatives going forward. Here are the strategic trends and challenges going forward. And so we signal to the Army, here's what we're thinking about. Help us to think about it. Bring in the right people. And then how does that wargaming either enhance or modify current concept development or kick off some new ideas within the concept world? And so it was a really important aspect of what we again call the campaign of learning. And so this is again back in the 2011 to 2015 time period when I was the the chief of future warfare and many great leaders have come after me have done much better work. I remained humble 
from day one through the end, trying to continue to learn how to do that job better, how to war game better, how to create challenges. And I had a lot of good mentors like uh, General Bill Hicks and Chris McPadden and others. And so General Walker, General McMaster was my last uh, boss. They come no better in terms of strategic thinking and, and leadership. So again, an important role it plays within the Army. It helps the chief to think. And so uh, that's kind of what it does, what it's designed to do as part of a larger effort for experimentation. And again, linking concept developers with the wargaming is a very critical element to be able to either spark new ideas or to refine current concepts. And I guess the last point would be the concept can develop one of two ways, and it's never one or the other, but it's always a combination. You either have a new concept by which you have what's called required capabilities that you need in order to execute that concept, to make that concept come to life, or you have game-changing technologies that emerge that fundamentally change the way we fight and thus spring up new opportunities for conceptual development on how the army will fight. So it's never one or the other. It's always something in between. And I think that's the constant healthy challenge that we face as we think about the future, think about technology, and really can talk more about Army Futures Command and how important that organization is and why Army Concepts is now out in Austin along with the innovators to be able to link concepts and innovation. Man, there's a lot there. I think I'll start off with recognizing my own lack of knowledge on, we do this, right? Words have meaning. Some people in the day, if you were to Google Unified Quest, you might get to the war game, the Title 10 culmination of a lot of study. But like you said, it's, it's actually a complete study program for the chief of staff of the army where there's lots of people on the team. And it sounds like you were kind of the shepherd of that, of putting together symposiums, webinars, workshops, looking at imagining the future of warfare. And I want to ask you questions about the strategic trends. Of course, this is all unclassified. And I know that we publish some of this in our concepts of here are the kind of strategic trends that we see that will be important or applicable in the near future and that will guide our thinking concepts, technology investments, things like that. So that's the first one, right? So Unified Quest back in the day, I know it's not, there's new words now, but was about the study program, but there was a an ultimate annual war game where a lot of it came together and all your work was put into the execution of the war game. Is that right? Yeah. It was a building event with symposia and seminars that would then lead to that culminating event. Of course, I got to say that I'm also a huge fan of General Starry's work. If you haven't read his papers, I'd recommend it. And I wish there were other as prolific writers. You really get into his mind about his thinking and overall wrestling with the concepts of trying to prepare because we have to make decisions on where we're going to put resources in preparing for our future of warfare. Let's talk more about strategic trends. Are there any strategic trends that were in this timeline for you, the 2011-2015 timeframe that started to be talked about more so and that continued in your mind to be a strategic trend of significance to the U.S. Army today? So from 2011 to about 2013, as we did a series of various uh, war games scenarios in Korea and other locations and challenges around the globe. One of the things that continued to pop up in numerous strategic trends documents was this idea of urbanization. And so 2013, every year we go up, talk to the chief about, okay, what did we learn from the previous year? And then where are we going the following year? So in 2013, I think it was September, 
I said, hey, sir, I described this strategic trend of urbanization. I said, I think it's time to take another look at this. And I'll talk about another look in a minute. But And, and he agreed. And he said, hey, I want you to get my recently formed strategic studies group involved. And so we partnered with Dave Johnson. I think you were part of that crew uh, back in 2014. And I think that's where we met. And so we partnered and brought them into our discussions, our seminars, our war games, etc. And then they also launched on a very very detailed study. They got to do all the cool stuff like travel around the world and, and do a lot of deep thinking and analysis about what the world looks like. And, and at that time, we were talking about megacities and the impact. And that was so the war game in 2014 that we ran after that conversation with General Odierno was, in fact, the megacity war game. And since that time, we've grown to understand that there may be cities that are, quote, not megacities, less than 10 million that are significant. And there could be megacities of greater than 10 million. So if you're less than 10 million, you're not a megacity, but they could still be significant. We've reframed the, the question, not about megacities, but about dense urban terrain and dense urban environments. And I think that's been much more useful going forward in terms of where the problems and challenges lie. And it's more about the density and complexity of that environment as opposed to, oh, is it 10, 10 million or more? So we've moved on from that very quickly. But and so going back to kind of looking at it again, what we knew was that early in the 2000s, Joint Forces Command at the time had done significant work on this particular strategic trend. And so we started there with, okay, what's out? And quite frankly, it was a little bit of, of a struggle because we're about five, six, seven years in. Joint Forces Command had disbanded and reformed into the Joint Staff South. And there were still folks around that had some databases, etc. But I think it was tough to locate some of that uh, literature. So we weren't starting from scratch. We knew we had to go back and look at that. But again, that was uh, the starting point for our analysis with uh, the Strategic Studies Group on what this means for the Army. Subsequent to the war game, General Milley from 2015 to 2019 was Chief of Staff of the Army. He at the time, at the outbrief of the Megacities War Game, was the Forces Command Commander and was... I think, influenced by some of that conversation. And during his four years, um, there was a significant push to really look closely at the idea of uh, fighting in cities in whatever context. And, And numerous times he would talk about the fact that he thought the army needed to quote, optimize for urban warfare. That creates a big shift within the big army environment. And so There are a lot of different things that we have to think about and focus on, but there was definitely a concerted effort during his time as chief where we considered and looked at very carefully, what does all of that mean? And as leaders transition and priorities change, so too do those focus areas. And so today, less of a focus on urban, more about great powers competition, modernization. We talked about the big five. We're starting to see emerging that same theme of the next wave of modernization efforts and capabilities coming into the fold, especially in the area of, I think, extended range artillery and other capabilities that are really going to be significant in the next fight. The inclusion of cyber and space, of course, are in terms of new domains that have to be wrestled with and understood much better. So that kind of the impetus and kind of where it started, the megacity war game, the integration of strategic studies group, their great study that they did and that launched uh, the Army for a number of years in that particular direction. And, And I think there was a lot that was gained from that as well. 
full visibility, you and I met when I was a part of that strategic studies group. And we'll talk about it in a minute, but we continue to run into each other as I view that work that I did in the strategic studies group and being part of the mega cities conversation. Although I agree with you, it's much broader than just those 33 cities around the world that are over 10 million. It'll be 40 in, in the near future. It's about dense urban areas and executing missions in that terrain. I view it as the start of what I have now at the Modern War Institute, the Urban Warfare Project, this podcast series. As I also wrestled with, you got to do a lot more literature review. You got to study a lot more aspects of this to get your head around what does it mean to deploy military forces into urban terrain to achieve the full range of military operations. I also looked to GIFCOM because, like you said, it was disbanding, but they at one point had a Joint Urban Operations Office, which kind of wrestled with all that everybody has wrestled since then. And they put out some amazing products of the Joint Urban Operations Campaign Plan, integrating concept, all kinds of great stuff that, like you said, you got to go back and do your literature review and see what others have done before you. Same thing with General Milley, like you said, huge proponent for urban operations. I use his quote, and most people do now that write about it, his quotes that like AUSA and things where he's saying, with confidence, I can tell you that the next major fight will happen in urban terrain. We have to optimize, man, train and equip for it and all the great things and the investments that he helped us make in places like the National Training Center and the amazing things that you, Colonel Pat Mahaney, that we've had on the show and everybody has going on to this day, all starting back with these special events, I think that are important. Like you said, they're moments in time and moments in thinking that while they ebb and flow in priority of effort, I don't think they ever truly go away and you keep the lamp lit and be a part of the next conversation, I think is important. So just to comment on that, if I may, so you can frame this in many different ways. You can say urban is just one of a number of elements of the operational environment. And that's very true. Is it desert? Is it jungle? Is it urban? Is it is there an information terrain, if you will, a cyber terrain, all of those kinds of ideas. But clearly, urban represents one of the more challenging ones. And so what you have to consider is, and it came out 2014, the operating concept, I think it was winning a complex world, talked about the various multiple options, domains, partners, and dilemmas. That was winning a complex world. And so before the MDO concept, the multi-domain operations concept in December of 18, that was the previous operating concept. And so one of the things that we have to be prepared to do is multiple options, and that's multiple options to senior leaders. And so we don't have the luxury of saying, well, we're not ready or we don't want to operate in that environment. Now, we have to put it within context, but when the National Command Authority says go, we have to be prepared. And so that's really where the mill PF discussion comes in about all the different aspects of this particular more difficult environment as part of the what we call the operational environment. And, and it's a very tough one. And so I think continued study, continued refinement of our concepts and capabilities and our training is important. Stuff that you write about very eloquently, John, cover down on it really well in terms of a number of different, I would call them drums that you beat. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean it very positive. It's just kind of a message that needs to be sent continuously that it's tough stuff. We have to consider it with respect to budgets and, and focus, but 
it remains, it will remain, it's not going away. And I think we're probably one North Korean belligerent or bellicose type activity away with respect to their environment that got us spun up on subterranean and, and setting up communities of practice in various locations throughout the army to kind of look at that and do deep dives into how to operate in that subterranean space, which again, could be a part of a more complex urban space as well. So you mentioned concepts a lot, and we've had Colonel Rich Creed on an earlier podcast show who really explained to us that there's a difference between doctrine and concepts, and concepts is this our future, almost how we view we need to change our fighting methods across, like you said, the doctrine, organization, training, leadership, weapons, capabilities for that future way we think we need to operate. Is that a good way to say it? Absolutely. Concepts, you know, is that where all of the thinking has to reside early to develop it, to sharpen it, to refine it, to war game it, to experiment with it. Because when you create the doctrine, you, you fight with doctrine. The concept is some future thinking about a new way we might fight. And it starts with those thought leadership seminars, the strategic trends, the environment, and also developing those future concepts that, again, will eventually find their way into potentially into doctrine and form that future doctrine. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you mentioned the, the multi-domain operations or formerly multi-domain battle that kind of came out of this future thinking in the war games. And I was super excited to see the latest MDO 2.0 have a complete annex on dense urban terrain, which I personally believe was due to General Townsend's coming out of the Battle of Mosul and then taking over Tradoc and saying, hey, this has to be, I view it General Milley views it as important. It has to be a part of this future concept. And then that update, which is an amazing read, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I think it acknowledged, and General Townsend, your product of your experiences and your frame of reference. I mean, he experienced it, he lived through it, the Mosul study that emerged from that. And so he truly understood the value of it, knew that it had to be a, a component of, of that MDO concept. And I think it provides, again, that link to future thinking, discussion about training, leader development, et cetera, that uh, we constantly have to think about with respect to this most difficult of the operating environments. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I tell people. I understand the U.S. military superpower to fight as a joint force, have to be prepared for multiple environments. I've been given the pleasure to drill down on the urban environment and then think about many different angles of looking at preparing for military operations in it, but fully recognize that it's one of the environments. General Milley said, and I like to quote him, that it's more likely than not going to be a future environment of conflict. So I know that things have changed, right? Organizations change. I know that this work about thinking about futures, deep futures continues, but I also know you're within Army Futures Command, which has the name and title now. Is this work still being done? Is this wargaming, this line of bringing together the greatest minds to think about the future still happening? Like you said, everything changes and transitions. I think the investment that's being made in Austin with Army Futures Command and all of its components and links, uh, Army Applications Lab, the way we bring technologies in and try to nurture them in different ways, small businesses, etc. I think that's that's working and it's uh, starting to bear fruit. One of the things that had transitioned at Tradoc, the former Arctic, is some of the deck chairs have been rearranged a little bit in terms of where folks are and where they're linked. The director of concepts is now in Austin, not at Eustis. The Futures and Concepts Center director leadership is in Austin, not at Eustis. But there remains the Future Warfare Division, Joint Concepts, Army Concepts moved out to Austin. 
So, you know, there's just been some transition, but through the capabilities of technology, folks can stay connected in many different ways. But there's been some migration to Austin to, again, link concept developers with innovators. That idea I talked about earlier about you may have a great idea about how to operate in the future and you need capabilities. Who's going to develop those capabilities to make that concept work? Or hey, I just learned about some really neat innovation, and this could fundamentally change the way we fight. So it's never going to be that big. But again, those things work in concert. And so to put Army Concepts folks with the innovation side and the modernization side of the Army, I think there's a good linkage there. And I think that will bear fruit. Yes, sir. So I think the last question, I know that you and I are both retired. Everybody knows what I do, but I know that you have also concerned about the strategic trend of urbanization, have continued working in the urban space. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing? Sure. I consider myself, I don't know what how large the group is, but uh, you and, and uh, the great Colonel Pat Mahaney retired and, and others, Russ Glenn, et cetera, small band of urbanistas that think about this. I became really interested in it to the degree where I decided to pursue my doctorate in international studies with a focus on urban training. And so looking at a couple of uh, case study examples of Singapore, the UK, Israel, a few others, and how they are looking at this problem of and the challenge of and the opportunity really of, of urban training. What we know is, I think General Milley decided, and that was part of this small study that was looking at where we would build an urban training center in the United States. And there were many different scenarios. The Army decided to do it at the National Training Center. The costs were high. And so there was movement. I don't think it's fully developed in the way that maybe it was envisioned because of costs, but there was definitely an effort there to develop something more significant than our mount sites that we have and those smaller military operations and urban terrain training areas that are littered throughout all of our installations, whether they're in active duty or National Guard locations, etc., So there was an effort there. But one of the things that I'm looking at, which I think is emerging through one of our small groups, the the synthetic training environment, CFT, is that cross-functional team, CFT, is this idea of kind of a mixed reality. How do you bring the virtual world into the physical training space as a way to still train in that environment, still put boots in the dirt, which is so important for for our junior leaders, but then to leverage some of the emerging technologies to be able to create the effects on a building, say, with joint munitions, where you're not actually going to physically blow up the building, but you can do it through a virtual flip down the goggles, do it, and then continue to train. So I think there are a number of countries that are looking at this particular aspect of training, and I think that we can learn from them, they can learn from us. And so that's kind of the focus of my research to date. I've been involved with that, and I've been involved with some subject matter expertise support to the Army with respect to material development in the urban space and continue to work on that. Again, I understand that there are many different aspects to modernization. Army Futures Command as a kind of a subordinate effort that remains, that focuses on some of the challenges of urban, whether it's material development or other solutions, concept development, etc. Not as robust as it was a few years back, but again, priorities change, senior leaders change, and the focus changes. And so we just have to roll with that. But it's good to keep the ideas and the basics of it simmering 
so that uh, we don't kind of do what, what happened with Joint Forces Command, a lot of work, then nothing, and then kind of pick it back up and regenerate the interest and the activity. I think we're a problem set away from having to deal with an urban environment of some sort at some scale and the fact that we need to continue to look at what kind of capabilities soldiers need to be more effective and efficient in that environment and to save lives remains important. Whether or not we're going to do a cordon in search of a mega city, which obviously is not going to happen, but the fact that we may be forced to operate either on the periphery or go in for short periods of time into an urban environment for various mission sets, those things will remain possibilities that when we get called upon, we'll have to be able to execute. And having the right capabilities to be successful in those environments, I think, will remain important, as well as the concept for how we would operate. So the .mil PF framework that is so important in TRADOC, there are bits and pieces of it all being worked by various organizations throughout the Army. Again, it's a tough environment, and we should at least keep on simmer our efforts in case some challenge arises that is potentially right around the corner and we have to start to deal with it. We don't want to be caught flat-footed. And so we remain leaning forward. Your effort, John, and those of others to develop leaders, develop capabilities, develop concepts for this, etc., remains important. I think your work, what's happening at West Point and other places, I think is going to be fundamental to keeping the fires burning, keeping the effort alive in terms of thinking and development going forward. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. And I actually appreciate the years still driving forward, doing the great work. And I 100% agree. And really why we have the Urban Warfare Project, it's it's almost just a continuation of the study program. I learned something new every day. I learned a lot from you today. I think our listeners will learn a lot about how do you think about future warfare? How do you do it? How do you war game it? How that's all broken down. I think that's what we do. And we help and hopefully our products, all of us in this small little community, all of our products help the next group that has to do a lot more thinking on it in a fast amount of time. We're continuing the study program is what I like to say. So thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. This has been amazing. and I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, John. I really enjoyed talking with you today. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of their participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out NDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.